0: You've found the Rock Hesperia and are on your way to building a solid life. We make disciples here. If you, your children, or anyone comes to Jesus, hears His sayings, and does them, your life will become solid. So let's get to it. We're in our series of Spiritual House, and this is message number three, Spiritual Siblings. Spiritual Siblings. So would you turn to two places in your Bibles, please? turn to Psalm 133 and Romans 12. Psalm 133 and Romans 12. We're talking about spiritual siblings today. That's right, brothers and sisters. For where there are spiritual siblings, there must also of necessity be spiritual parents. Who knows that's true? And who who knows that the relationship between siblings is unique? (laughs) You're like, yeah, unique's one way of putting it in my house. <laughs> and uh, Peter Gabriel sings this Find your sisters and brothers who can't hear all the truth in what you say. They can support you when you're on your way. It's true. Find them, be with them. They know what you're talking about. They grew up in the same situation you did, right? Spiritual brothers and sisters. Proverbs 27, verse 17 says this. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. It's all about relationship. You know, what happens in that iron sharpening process? I mean, think about it. There's one iron over here. There's another iron over here. Shing, shing, shing. That, that can't feel great, can it? There's some friction there. There may be some tension there. And there, there may be some sparks there. But you know what? What's happening during all that? Rubbing the hard edges off, the rough edges. Sharpening. You're getting better, even though it's hard maybe sometimes to live in this relationship. We're going to talk more about it. It's all about relationship. Look at another proverb. In Proverbs 17:17. it says this, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. The scripture says a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. You know, when there's adverse times, when it seems like the world's against you, you know, the whole world's crashing down on you. That's the time when you really need your brother around you. You know, your brother may say, yeah, they're, they're way off. Or, you know what, kid? You're the problem here. You need to get it together. You are causing your own destruction here. We need our brothers and sisters to come alongside us and say it. Because <laughs> there are certain things that only a brother can say. They, they know all of you from all back then. And they've seen you come up and it's like, I've seen this before. I've seen this little twinkle in your eye before. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't go there. I I see you. I see the wheel spinning in your head. Don't do it. I'm begging you. That's a brother right there. Born for adversity. In Romans 12:15, the Bible says, "Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep." You know, we're meant to live in this constant relationship with one another, naturally and spiritually. You know, the Lord is building us a spiritual House. That's why we're in this series. We're talking about being built living stones all fit together perfectly by the Lord because we've been called to this place. We've been called into the rock. We've been called into the church to be living stones right around one another, fitted together so perfectly by the Lord. It's a precise, there's a precision what the Lord's doing in knitting us together, fitting us into this structure, into a solid structure at that. This is a spiritual house, and we're meant to live that way with one another. We're meant to come alongside one another, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know, if a brother is born for adversity, when someone's having a problem around you, when your brother or your sister is hurting, you've got to come around them and help them out. That's true. That's what we were born for. That's what we are made for. You know, our family just suffered a terrible loss. There is a friend of the family that lost her son and she's grieving the loss of her son right now. And so here's Susan and she's been, you know, quarantined in her room because she had been in contact with someone who may have gotten COVID-19 or whatever. And so just out of compassion and not wanting to share just in case, you know, she's been isolated in her room. And so she's waiting for the results of this test again. I don't know how many days she spent in that room, but she's been waiting for the results of this test to come out, and she finds this tragic news out in the middle of this thing. And she's like, i got to get to my friend. I just feel like this pull. I, I've got to get there. We're essentially sisters. you know. She's known her for, I don't know, 40 plus years. And it's like, how do I not be with her during this time of tragedy and of loss and of heartbreak? See, that's the spiritual sister right there coming alongside, weeping with those who weep, bearing one another's burdens. You know, what are you going to do? There's not much you can do, but you can be there, and you can listen, and you can participate in the grieving process. And that means something. Doesn't it mean something? Wouldn't it mean something to you if a, a brother or sister came around you and, and bolstered you up and lifted you up and, and spoke things of faith into you, things of comfort by the Holy Spirit? Yeah, of course, you'd love that. You'd appreciate it, even in the midst of darkest times. And so we find out, thank God, once again, the results come back negative. No COVID-19 here in the house, and she is on a plane. She's on a plane to Texas to get to her sister and be with her and, and love on her you know, this heart of being ready, even with a gift for the funeral expenses and all that, you know, the Lord just moves and, and stirs us to be there for one another, doesn't he? I'm sure you felt that from time to time. You felt like, I'm not, I'm not even sure. I didn't even know I had this to give, but the Lord has just birthed it through me. And I know that it's right to give amen. You know, whatever the plane ticket cost, nothing in comparison to the benefits And uh, I know that if you've had any situation like this, you'd say amen. That's absolutely true. That it doesn't matter what the cost is. You get there and you're there for your brother. A brother, a sister, is born for adversity. And before rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, let's look at the whole section right there regarding siblings titled, Behave Like a Christian. Behave Like a Christian. You know, I don't, when we're going through our reading plan or whatever, I generally skip over the headings because those aren't part of the inspired, you know, Word of God. They're just added by the editors later. And so I try to keep it real on the level and just keep reading the scriptures without the headings. But every once in a while they jump out. And uh, this one I couldn't ignore and it speaks right to my heart. Behave like a Christian. You know, if we're going to say that we belong to the Lord, and we're following Jesus, we're disciplined followers of Jesus like we're supposed to be, then we need to behave like Christians, don't we? And the Bible gives us all kinds of instructions on how to accomplish that. Let's look at some of that. Romans twelve nine through 13 says this, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. That means I prefer you. I'm giving you preference. Your ways, your ideas, your plans. They mean more to me. I'm willing to do them. I'm willing to sacrifice my own ways. So you get what you want. It says, in honor, giving preference to one another and not lagging in diligence. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation. In tough times. Continuing steadfastly in prayer. Not giving up praying for one another. Distributing to the needs of the saints. Given to hospitality. That's huge. That's huge. Be kindly affectionate to one another. Kindly affectionate to one another. You know, that doesn't sound like dismissive to me. It doesn't sound like arrogant, or, or prideful, or mean. It sounds like kindly affection. And, and so I, th- I feel like sometimes we've developed a certain way of communicating. Uh, maybe some of you have gotten a text message back like this. You, you, know, you pour out your heart to somebody saying, hey, I really miss you, I'd love to see you, and, and uh, you're welcome to come with us. I invite you to come with us you know, uh, with Sunday to church, or whatever. Or come out to lunch with us, or go here, and, and here's the text you get back. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Does anyone else know what that means? I know what that means. It's like, no, thank you. It's like, I don't want to be around you. And I'm not going to say anything that says I don't want to be around you. It's a real passive aggressive way to deal with this. But this is the kind of text messages that float around sometimes. This is the kind of communication that we want to start avoiding and start digging in and being kindly affectionate to one another. In honor, giving preference to one another. In honor, giving preference to one another. Again, some of that communication, it's like, oh, I'm using all the right honoring sounding words. But in the heart, you know it's not honor. You know there's offense. You know there's bitterness. You know there's resentment. And it's like, oh, let's not do that to one another. I mean, we're brothers and sisters in here, living stones, being built up a spiritual house. There's a way to do this right. It says in honor, giving preference to one another not having to have your own way. You see what I'm saying? There's so many people that say, well, if I don't get mine, I'm gone. I'm, I'm off to the next thing, the bigger, better deal, and I'll cancel plans with you or never make them or just never even call and just miss our appointment. All these things happen frequently. And, and this is culture that we have right now that we're, we're trying to say the Lord has something better for us, but we have to address what it is and how to get down the road to the better thing. To the better thing. That word I gave in that daily message to the whole rock was that Tove word. When God creates something and he calls it good, it's, it's Tove, It's it's better. It's surpassing. That's where I'm trying to bring us. Better than the world does it. Surpassing in quality than the world knows it. Amen. It says fervent in spirit. Fervent. Hot. You know, like just steadfast. Oh my goodness. We're, we're right there. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. That means that I'm just excited to do it. I'm excited to be about the Lord's business. I'm excited to be on the journey with you. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. It says rejoicing in hope. Rejoicing in hope and patient in tribulation. Have you ever found yourself, be honest, with a little less patience than you know you should have? <laughs> you, you come back later and you're like, oh, yeah, I could have done that better. You know, and you feel a little bit bad that you didn't have the patience at the ready for the situation that you were in. The Lord wants to help you with that. He wants to bring us to a new place that we do better than that. It says continuing steadfastly in prayer, and we covered that. Pray without ceasing, pray with all kinds of prayers, intercede for one another, stand in the gap, you know, watchmen on the wall, and the whole thing steadfast in prayer. And it says distributing to the needs of the saints, distributing to the needs of the saints. We'll get into the more of this another time, but think about it. You meeting someone else's need who is part of the family of God, who is part of our family, meeting those needs, coming right alongside, not making a big deal about it. It's almost like that. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing or vice versa. It's like, it's not to be seen. It's to meet a need. It's to serve someone else you know, the word for ministry really means service, serving the saints. And of course, the saints are people who are in the kingdom of God. Oh, when the saints go marching in, oh, when the saints go marching in, I dig that song. Oh, how I want to be in that number when the saints go marching in. When I die, by the way, just as an aside, has nothing to do with this message, but when I die, well, maybe it does. Brothers and sisters, you make sure you get a New Orleans band to play that song at my funeral, okay? All right, there we go. And it lastly says, given to hospitality. Back to the scripture, given to hospitality. Now, have you ever known someone who is very hospitable? Someone who's just like, they live, to show care and love to somebody else by making them feel comfortable, serving them their favorite types of things. You know, maybe they have a gift, that perfect gift that they bring. Or if they're receiving someone, they have the, the perfect meal, their favorite meal or their, their favorite snack or their favorite drink or their favorite flavored coffee or you know whatever it is. They're given to hospitality. That's what they give themselves to. And it's like 10 bucks, no problem. 20 bucks, I can spend that. I want to make sure that my brother is happy, that my sister is taken care of in the way that they love, and they'll know that I love them because I want that the extra. Oh, we know people like that. Amen. And we're so thankful for them, because sometimes I wish I could be, I mean, I often wish I could be that person, way more aware of people's likes and, and dislikes so I can give them what they like and avoid what they don't like. And uh, There's nothing worse than uh, being, like in The Office, there is this episode where he's like, let's throw her a birthday party and uh, let's get some ice cream cake. Oh, she's lactose intolerant. She's not the only one coming to this party. <laughs> Jerk, you know? We need to be better than that to each other, amen? Alright, now let's look at Psalm 133. You had opened there earlier. I'm flipping there in my Bible. Psalm 133. Not an unfamiliar passage to us. We use this with some frequency. But it's good. And because there is a key to the whole kingdom here. And it's found in this in this passage. It says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. For spiritual brothers and sisters... To dwell together, stay together, be together, exist together in unity. It says, for there the Lord commanded blessing, life forevermore. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Let me ask you this. Who here wants the blessing of the Lord? (laughs) I know it's not just me. Get your hands up. Who wants the blessing of the Lord? Amen. Seriously, if, you know what? You can even do one better. Why don't you jump in on the comments and just start saying how much you want the blessing of the Lord. It's not a competition, but just participate in this thing. Yes, I want, the, I want the blessing and the benefit of the Lord. It's like if he's willing to give it, I'm willing to receive it. I don't know if anyone's like me, but I am ready to receive even so much more of the blessing of the Lord. Whatever he's got for us, I want it. I want it for me, and I want it for you. Amen. So, who wants God to command blessing on you? Woo! Command blessing on you. You know that's good. It's like it cannot be stopped. The Lord's like, I didn't just say it, because even if I said it, it would happen. I command it. I command blessing on you. Amen. He says, devote yourself to unity. Devote yourself to dwelling together in unity. That's the key. That's how we get this commanded blessing. Now, if you don't want commanded blessings over your life, and I'm being facetious, let me tell you how to get that. Get out of unity. Just get right out of unity. Stop dwelling together. Stop being around each other. Stop attending church. Stop fellowshipping with your spiritual brothers and sisters. Remove yourself from your church family. Oh, this is a way to stop the blessing in its tracks. Even if it was on its way to you, it's like, Arr! the Lord put the brakes on. Why? He cannot command a blessing where you're not dwelling together with your brothers and sisters who you've been put together with by the Lord in unity. You're like, I'm out of this mess. I want something else. I'm, I'm going to go a different place. I'm going to make my own thing. Whatever. No, no, no. The Lord is saying, hey, Don't get out of unity. Don't get out of alignment. Don't get out of fellowship. Hang on. Hang in there. I know it's not always easy. That iron sharpening iron process gets a little sparky. It gets a little uh, hot. But stay in it. I have blessing. I'm ready to command on you if you stay there. Stay there, brothers and sisters. Clearly, this is not what I want for you. Absolutely not. It's not what God wants for you either. He only wants to be able to bless you. And he's like, Man, help me help you stay in unity. Dwell together in unity. How good and how pleasant it is. But who knows that it takes participation, not only on God's part, but on your part as well. Oh, that's right. It takes participation on your part as well. It's not enough to just say, uh, who, who knows that saying, have your cake and eat it too. That's right. You cannot have your cake. You can't keep the cake and eat the cake. You know, you're going to choose one. And if you choose anything, the Lord is saying, choose unity. I mean, my my spiritual father always says, strain your guts out for unity. And uh, maybe it's no wonder that I often get sick to my stomach when there's a unity problem among us. You know, when I'm out of alignment with somebody... Um, I maybe offended them or there's a a disconnect or something, but it tears me up inside and I get sick to my stomach more frequently than I'd like to, because I I crave that unity. I just want us to be all right. I'm never intending to hurt anybody or whatever, you know, and so I'm like, I always kind of press in and I'm like, let's fix this thing. Let's talk about it. Let's work it out because there is a way through for us, brother. (laughs) There is a way through for us, sister. Let's find it together. Don't go away. Don't go away, I love you too much. It takes living in relationship with Him and with your church. That's what it takes. Why do I emphasize this? Why am I going maybe overboard in your perspective? I'll tell you why. It's like this whole love your neighbor thing. And it's like, well, who's my neighbor? If you can tell me that. I know, I know, love my neighbor. I'll do it, I'll do it. Who's my neighbor? Right? Trying to get out of it. We're trying to wiggle out of loving our actual neighbor. Because like, oh, my neighbor is my coworker. Yes. Oh, my neighbor is my classmate. Yes. My neighbor is my family member. Yes. And let me tell you what else. Your neighbor is your neighbor. <laughs> love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. See, you love your, your neighbor as yourself. Love your spiritual siblings. Love your spiritual parents as yourself. Giving preference to one another. We're back to that scripture. You see it? See, we're pretty wily when it comes to how we choose to obey God, aren't we? We're trying to find a loophole or something. This whole series is meant to teach us how to dedicate ourselves to becoming the family God wants. It's not just the family He wants us to be. No, it's the family He wants for Himself. You know, who... Okay, let me ask you this. I'll put it this way. You're in the supermarket... There is a family that you would like to have when you're in the supermarket all together. And there is also in your mind a family that you don't want to have. Isn't that true? You've seen that family and it's like, the littles don't do that. Whatever that is, we look at that, take a good hard look and never do that. You know, there's a family that you want. This is the family that God wants, operating and living in unity with one another. And if it means change, (laughs) spoiler alert, It does mean change. Then bring it. Oh, it's been brought in. And why would we choose to change? Why would you and I choose to change? Because let's face it, not everybody likes change. Most people don't. Okay, nobody likes change. For the Lord commands blessing where there's unity. So if you're not in unity in some area, get in unity so you can get the commanded blessing of God. That's why we would change. That's exactly why. And I'm calling us up to it. All of us, I'm calling us up to it because I believe that we have it in us. You know, the Lord wouldn't put something in here and say, do this if he wasn't absolutely assured and certain that we could. He will enable us and empower us to do it if we'll decide to do it. Decide to do it. Even though it's uncomfortable. I mean, are you uncomfortable yet? I hope so. (laughs) I planned this whole thing so you'd be very (laughs) uncomfortable as we walk through this. Because, you know, who's perfect here? Anyone? No, I gotta put my hand down so I'm not lying. None of us are perfect. We should have some sort of discomfort. It's like, I haven't lived up to that yet. I should do better on that. And I'm sure that you're like me in that. Let me tell you a story about this jazz drummer I read about this past week. A jazz drummer, he has heart disease and he's been studying the heartbeat as a source of rhythm. Now watch, he says, where some might see cruel irony in being afflicted by heart disease, which he has studied for 45 years, he sees a challenge, and his words are this. He said, It's like some higher power saying, Okay, buddy, you wanted to study this? Here you go. Now the challenge is inside of me. It turns out I was studying the heart to prepare myself for treating myself. Now, to properly formulate this idea in our context, you know, it's not like the Lord is dishing out heart disease to people, no. But in this Romans 8 28 context, it's like, the Lord causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. That's right. That's the New American Standard. I love the way that says it. And, and it's a very faithful English translation. It says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. And let me tell you that one of these things that He's calling us to One of his purposes, unity. One of these things is love in the family of God. Amen. And so wherever you may stand, all these varied positions on God's involvement with the coronavirus and the resultant, we're all at home all the time. Kids, am I right? Are you home all the time now? Yes. You're like, oh, if I have another Zoom meeting, right? All I can tell you is that God is going to cause good to come out of this depending on how we walk through it. He wants to do it. Don't limit his blessing by being out of unity. And those who are called and answering that call to his purpose are gonna find this. They're gonna find this commanded blessing. The spiritual house stuff is always with Pastor Jennifer and me. Always. And the challenges that come with building this spiritual house, we don't see cruel irony in it either. We see the depth of God's heart for us all. That's what we see. To love and cherish and support and honor one another in unity. And, and not just giving lip service, like I said, or the right sounding words so that if anyone ever read it, we could get by and be like, oh yeah, no, that was totally honoring. Yeah, that was a bad heart. <laughs> this is true brotherly love. That word Philadelphia. That's one of the Greek words for love. Philadelphia. And you'll remember, as we've been reading in Revelation, this church called Philadelphia, it's the one church out of all of them that was like the good church, the church that was on track. And so here, the Prince of Preachers words, this is Charles Spurgeon on that Psalm 133. He says this, When brethren can and do dwell together in unity, then is their communion worthy to be gazed upon and sung of in holy psalmody. Such sights ought often to be seen among those who are near of kin, for they are brethren, and therefore should be united in heart and aim. They dwell together, and it is for their mutual comfort, it's a win-win, that there should be no strife. And yet how many families are rent by fierce feuds, and exhibit a spectacle which is neither good nor pleasant? As to brethren in spirit, they ought to dwell together in church fellowship, And in that fellowship, one essential matter is unity. We can dispense with uniformity if we possess unity. Oneness of life, truth, and way. Oneness in Christ Jesus. Oneness of object and spirit. These we must have, or our assemblies will be synagogues of contention rather than churches of Christ. The closer the unity, the better. For the more of the good and the pleasant there will be. Since we are imperfect beings, somewhat of the evil and the unpleasant is sure to intrude, but this will readily be neutralized and easily ejected by the true love of the saints, if it really exists. Christian unity is good in itself good for ourselves, good for the brethren, good for our converts, good for the outside world. Everybody wins. For there, the Lord commanded blessing, life forevermore. Remember third John that we talked about last week. Look at verses two through four again. It says, "Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly when brethren came to me and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I've got no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Now, I took this a different way this week, focusing on the brethren bringing the good news about their spiritual brothers and sisters, and how John says, my children, not just a singular child, notice, it's a collection of children. The fact that there's more than one getting along, so to speak, I mean, I'll just tell you, when we only had Jane, man, it was easy. Man, we... It was perfect. I thought Jane was the perfect child. And I know that's not true. But I know, I know that what I thought at the time, here I am, what, what was it? I must have been 27 years old. And Jane was the perfect child because she had no siblings yet. So she was great. No contention, no strife, no, uh, what's it called? Not sharing. What's that called? Selfishness. <laughs> thinking of the word yeah none of that (laughs) and now here's a little promo for the rock lab later today my brother and me at the beach when i was a kid are you ready for this i don't know mama's just hold on to something because my mom heard about it later and freaked out all right so here we are at the beach uh weekend with my dad and uh we go to the end of the pier i don't know who else was there but i know that my older brother was there he's 11 years older than i am And he pushes me off the edge of the end of the pier into the water that I can see the fish in. The fish are down there, man. And so I don't know how old I am. I I couldn't have been 10. And so younger than 10 pushes me off the thing. And here I am swimming back to shore or whatever. Didn't tell like anybody. right. Because I didn't want my brother to get killed. (laughs) All right. So he pushes me off the pier. Do you have a sibling like this, anybody? I mean, I don't know if I should hope that you do or hope that you don't, but maybe you can relate in some way. Siblings just act wrong sometimes. I know you can understand that. And it's normal to expect some of that bad behavior from your siblings. And right now you might be saying, yeah, preacher, too normal. (laughs) Who could entertain the idea in this case of a new normal? Say, give me the new normal. (laughs) Yeah. Let me describe a little more of our unfortunate normal right now between one another. I like to call it social media, AKA your highlight reel. Oh yes, where you either need to be on vacation or winning some major award in order to feel like you've got some influence or to feel relevant in what you're saying. Uh, Social media is really anti-social media. And I know I'm stepping on some toes here, but hear me all the way out. I'm, I'm totally connected with you. I know all your kids' haircuts. I've seen all your new summer wardrobe. I'm, I'm fully invested. I know exactly what's going on in your life. I've seen it all through those pictures. I've seen those, that plate of perfect tacos that your wife made you the other day. Thank you, my love. All right. And, and now because I've seen all these and I've scrolled through the feed, you and I are all good. We're all connected. We're all caught up. It's not true. It's a lie. You are not connected but you have a feeling of it and that seems to satisfy and then it's like we don't get together even as much because we felt like we are connected but it's a lie but we feel like it you've been lied to and we we've, we've got to figure this out because i don't know if you're like me but man i miss you i miss you and i've been i've even struggled because i've i've loosened you know maybe our our uh, approach to this covid distancing thing and i was like oh man but then i keep reading it keeps getting worse everywhere you know so it's like it's not really better i just i'm over it you know and i gotta figure this out because i was like that's not compassionate and so anyway that's a really hard dynamic especially when we have kids birthdays coming up in the house and like i can't have my friends over for a birthday no just in case you know let's wait let's prefer one another and make sure everyone that you and i love are kept safe Amen. But I miss you and I need you in my life. I need you. And I'm not, I'm not pandering or anything and say, we need you too, pastor. No, no, no. But I'm saying to you, I need you. And I know that about myself. It's true. It's, it's true for all of us. I need you in my life. We all need each other. And are you feeling it? Like I'm feeling it. Are you feeling this? We must each one start and keep making more connections. I mean, if you're doing it, keep on doing it. If you haven't started, if you haven't been asserting and reaching out to others, uh, my dad always says, reach out and touch someone. He likes that old AT&T slogan. Now you know where I get it. Anyway, but I, I got to tell you, I'm so over the old normal. All this that we've just gone through, I'm over it. And so there's a prescription that I want to give you, though. There's a, a, an article that Jen sent me this past week from Ed Stetzer. And I want to read portions of it to you. I've mixed it up a little bit. They said, Unlike what some had hoped, the virus COVID-19 has not waned over the summer. In fact, it's on the rise in more places than not. As states have begun varied and nuanced approaches to reopening businesses, parks, and more, churches face decisions about regathering for services and further ministry. The thing that resonates with me is the statement that the church will never be the same again. And I'm more concerned that the church will be the same again. Let me explain. For 2,000 years, we've had epidemics or pandemics. What's happened in and during and after the pandemics hasn't drastically changed the structure of church for most of the previous 2,000 years. We built cathedrals and gathered in them. Then the Black Death came. After the Black Death, we gathered in cathedrals again. I'm less concerned that the church will be forever changed and more concerned that we will snap right back into the status quo. Why? Because the best predictor of future behavior is the immediate past. History doesn't always repeat itself, but it tends to rhyme. We must not go back to normal. Instead, we must take the best of what we're seeing right now and continue those things. First, that we would keep worship central, but not at the center. God's gathered worship is central, but it's not the center of church life. Conversely, the church is not the center of God's plan in the world, but it is central to God's plan in the world. Ephesians 3.10 says, God has chosen the church to make known his manifold wisdom in the world. God has chosen the church. The church has not been able to gather in ways that we enjoy and love. Not only do we value that, but gathering is a mark of a biblical church. However, the lack of large-scale gathering has actually helped us to emphasize other areas in the life of the church. I often use the example of chess. I played competitive chess in high school. Our chess club teacher taught us not to rely on the queen. He had us remove the queen, leaving two chess players with no queen on either side. When you do this, you are forced to use all the pieces the pawns, the rooks, the knights, and the bishops. The gathered worship of God is not the center, though it is important. Indeed, it's one of the marks of the biblical church that was taken from us, which is why it was so hard. But look at how the people are deployed. My hope is that God's worship would be central to our lives, but not the center of all we do. Second, that God's people would continue to be deployed. God's people are deployed at a higher level, a more faithful level, and a more fruitful level than before this pandemic began. We've seen small group leaders functioning like lay pastors. We've seen ministry leaders engaged in new ways of doing things. We've seen people caring for one another at higher levels. We've seen people making phone lists and calling one another, praying for one another, and then together serving the poor and the marginalized in their community. Wouldn't it be amazing if we didn't go back to consumer-driven Christianity, where people line up like customers outside of Costco? Wouldn't it be nice if we didn't come in like consumers of religious goods and services, but instead continue to see ourselves as the co-laborers in the gospel? Some of those people who you've seen step up might meet those qualifications in 1 Timothy 3. In God's good plan, he wants all of his people to join him on mission. First Peter 4.10 says, As each one has received a special gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. May this be true before, during, and especially after the pandemic. As we look forward, how can we continue on the positive movements and focus that we have seen emerge. Returning to normal after such a historic moment would be nothing short of missing one of the greatest opportunities of our lifetime. We've been handed the chance to be better and do better. Let's go and do it. Let's go and do it. Church, would you join me? Let's go and do it. Let's be committed to this whole thing. So committed to one another and to the Lord, to loving each other better than ever before, that we get out there and actually do it. We don't just clamor for the old ways of doing things and all gathering together in one place. Even as I was talking about when I first came on the scene here and started pastoring you, I said, it doesn't take the evangelism brigade to get somebody saved. It just takes you and Jesus, and Jesus is always with you, so go get him. Let's go and do it. Let's pray right now. Put your Bibles down. Lift your hands up to the Lord, would you? And let's say these words together. Say, Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for brothers and sisters in your family given to me as gifts. I'm even now postured to receive Just as you've given me to them. Help us all be better to each other. Help me to apologize and to forgive. Let my brothers and sisters find me when they need you. Then pour all your best through me to them. Give us a better reputation in this world as we love our spiritual siblings better. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Now, if you haven't yet given your life to Jesus, surrendered control and say, I want you to take the reins and I want you to lead me and I want you to make the decisions so I'm not making bad ones, but I trust you with my life and I want to be part of your family. Let's handle it right now. You can join the family of God and you can join our family here at The Rock right now. Just say these words. Bow your heads and let's say this. God, I'm sorry for any wrong I've ever done. I choose to learn about and live for Jesus. Today I choose to follow you. As a son or daughter, I believe you raised Jesus from death to life. And I ask you to raise me to new spiritual life. I thank you for welcoming me into your family. In Jesus' name, amen.